0: What is up, Mets Up listeners? We are back here with episode number 31, the Piazza episode of the Mets Up podcast. I'm your co host, Giraffe Neck Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. We're going to talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates series, which was, I, I mean, like just not very good. It, that's about the best way to explain it. We're playing the Pirates and we split, so there's not a whole lot of great to take from there, but of course, we're the positive guys over here, so we'll figure out something. Also to talk about that we got Kamar Rocker gifted to us at the number 10 spot. And normally, you don't get too hyped for draft picks. This is something that's been happening more recently in Major League Baseball. But the Mets got a legit pick here at number 10 with Kamar Rocker. So we're going to talk about him, give him a brief breakdown like we done on the last episode. But a little bit more reactionary now because he is going to be a New York Met. And then we're also going to preview a little bit of the All-Star break. What happened with Francisco Alvarez yesterday in the Futures game. And I guess talk about the pirate series that's upcoming, too, again? I mean, oh, there's not a whole lot to talk about there.
1: I think we could do another short episode before the also break. We're not previewing a series that we don't even know is pitching.
0: That's honestly a very good point. That series is happening in a week. It's basically 2022 when that one happens. But, James, I guess that was the perfect time to bring you— Oh, wait, i got to plug the Instagram and Twitter first. Didn't do that yet. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, at MetsStup.com. YouTube channel, Messed Up Podcast. We're going to have videos out there again. I'm currently in a hotel for a wedding that I have, which is why I won't be at the All-Star Game this weekend. But it's not even the weekend. It's the weekday where the videos are going to be coming back. I promise. I promise. I know some of you guys have been like craving the video content. It will be there. We're going to do a huge revamp to the YouTube channel, and then make sure if you're listening to us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, that's where you can listen to us. Leave a five-star rating if you enjoy the podcast. Leave a review, too. Really does help us out. Now, to get James Chiano, the co-host, a little bit of his two cents. James, how you doing? How you feeling?
1: Doing great. Nice Monday morning, all-star break. Got to kind of take a little breather this week before we get ready for a big second half. Just like the Mets, who... I feel like did something that we feared. It felt like they could have taken a little breather this weekend. He had playing against one of the worst teams in baseball heading into the All-Star break, which this was the first time in literally 35 games, which I think expanded like about 34-ish days that the Mets played against any team that wasn't good. Literally, we had 35 consecutive games against the Padres, the Phillies, the Braves, the Cubs, Nationals, and the Brewers, which at the time we played each of those teams, they were at least in playoff contention, if not holding a playoff spot. And we did fine against those teams. Like, we battled, we scratched, we clawed, we did what we had to do, went 18-17. And now felt like this was a time to crush a bad team. And there was a moment Friday night where it did feel like that we were about to do that for a full weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, we had a chance to stomp on the Pirates. They're they're such a bad team. They don't play good baseball by any means. Like, even Gary, Ron, and Keith, or not Keith, Gary and Ron, like, reading out some of their stats, like, it was actually
1: Gary and Wrecker
0: oh it was record i didn't even notice that that's wild but i mean like they like lead the league in ground balls granted they don't strike out much which is like super interesting for a team that like struggles to score runs but it should also show you that strikeouts really don't matter to the success of your offense it's really irrelevant because the pirates don't do it too often Park, that's the adam
1: frazier effect
0: well, yeah, Adam Frazier, Kevin Newman. I mean, you can go through this entire lineup, and it is just filled with, like, absolute mediocrity. This team still beat us twice, though, despite not being good at almost anything. Their bullpen's actually not terrible, which we talked about a little bit. They do have some arms out there. Your boy Bednar had a good, couple good appearances. Got a win. Richard Rodriguez. Yeah, he got a win. That's cool.
1: Yeah. Well, it was yesterday, so no.
0: Well, yeah, cool for, like, you know, your friends, cool family. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But not cool for us Mets fans, because... Let's just talk about Game 4. Let's get that one over with. Let's rip the Band-Aid off. Game 4 was, oh, that was bad. I mean, five runs in the first inning. You got Lindor with a home run to start the game, which is fantastic, after Nimmo hit a double off the wall. like That is something that I think we can start to get used to as Mets fans a little bit, is like that 1-2 combination, that 1-2 punch, making a difference mm-hmm. in the first inning. And seemingly they did in this game. Also worth noting, Lindor, for the first time in a very long time, OPS, at the All-Star break, above 700. We did it, boys. We nice. did it. Lindor is coming back. OPS above 700, which means a hot second half. This Duke fish with an OPS at 800 again. He could do it. He, he could. could do it. It's if possible. this guy gets scalding hot. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. Continuing on in the inning, we got a couple walks, and then Michael... Conforto, the dude who has seemingly—I mean, there's no other way to say it—he has stunk this year. He's been yeah, it's not terrible.
1: seemingly. He's hitting under 200. I think still.
0: He's been absolutely terrible. Looked like he got off the Schneid a little bit here. Hit a home run in the first inning to give us a five nothing lead against Chase DeYoung,
1: who stinks.
0: I mean, it's, it's that simple. But then the bats died, and Chase DeYoung settled in, which I didn't think that would ever be a sentence I would hear myself say.
1: We didn't get a hit. I think until like the. Fifth or sixth inning. After that, Bumgardner first. And this this was the only game this weekend that I wasn't actually in attendance for. I was on the train coming back from New York to New Jersey, and I was streaming it. And I was like, Oh my god, five nothing in the first! Like that. By this time, I had gotten to my dad's car at the train station. I turned it off. We were making jokes about it, having fun. And I got home and I turned on the Euro Cup because so I was like, They must are be being chased to young five nothing in the first. There should be fourteen nothing by the time I checked back to it. Wrong, wrong. Did not happen.
0: I literally did the same thing in the car back from Boston because I was in Fenway this weekend. I'm driving, 5-0, I'm giving some fist pumps in the car, I'm like, let's go, the phone's giving me 20%, I can't charge my phone because my, like, charging port's broken, so I have to do it wirelessly, which means when my phone dies on a car trip, it's dead, and I needed <laughs> it for instructions, I don't know how to get home from Boston, and so I turned it off, I'm like, alright, we're good, 5 nothing in the first, Chase the young, you couldn't have been more wrong, I don't know how this offense stopped, I, again, like, didn't watch the game, it was listening, so I don't know if the at-bats were bad, but it seemed like, at least from the outside looking in, that the Mets maybe got that 5-0 lead and took took it easy a little bit. Started the All-Star break a little early.
1: And the irony is that this is the first time the Mets had two first-inning home runs since September 11, 2019. That was that crazy series against the Diamondbacks where the Mets just hit the shit out of the ball for three straight days. It kind of got the end of that season feeling a little bit differently. That was right like when they were getting hot at the end of 2019. Where it was like, a little bit too little, too late. But they still ended the season like on the upswing with the bats. That was almost exactly 162 games ago. That's crazy. A full season, two home runs in the first inning for the top of the order that we have. And I say it's ironic because in that game, as the whole series, the Mets' bats stayed hot for an entire game, at least for an entire collection of innings, rather than the singular inning on um, on Sunday that the Mets... Hit because it stopped hitting, completely stopped hitting after that. Chase DeYoung settled in by walking as many guys as he struck out for the next four innings. Austin Davis, who I believe was a was a bad NFL quarterback for a while, came in, had a good inning against the Mets. Chris Stratton came in just throwing a bunch of nonsense. He good spin rate guy, but wow, was he throwing pitches right down the middle? Giorme came into the game, had a leadoff walk, and he was immediately doubled off first after a Nimmo light, lost soft line drive. My guy Bednar came in. Mets actually got a couple hits, but they didn't score any runs. And like, fuck, we got Rodolfo Castro at this game. Rodolfo Castro. I remember him as being part of one of these Pirates trades recently. I can't put my finger on it because he's Rodolfo Castro. But like, fuck, we got Rodolfo Castro. How could that what be? He hit
0: three home runs this series against the Mets? Is yeah. going to be a new, like, absolutely random guy who kills the Mets for the rest of his career, which will probably seemingly be mediocre, but he for some reason will own the New York Mets. Rodolfo Castro. I think the bigger story, though, came from the pitching side as well. Like, I mean, the Mets didn't hit. I get it. That stunk. But the pitching, we had a bullpen game, which is always going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Loop started the game really well. Like, Loop yeah. Loop is good, man. Loop is good. We've been saying it. Loop, there it is. All mm-hmm. year long, he mm-hmm. is very, very solid. Probably the most underrated arm in the bullpen for the Mets. But mm-hmm. then when we go to Jared Eikoff, and he's just bad. And we've been saying so it terrible. for a while. He's just terrible. And that's a little bit of the Mets just needing one guy to pitch a couple innings to get us into the all-star break. But I really wish those couple innings could have been Jacob deGrom. Mm -hmm. I really wish it could have been him, which was a
1: debate that we were having for a while. We didn't see him, obviously, in this game. Mm -hmm. Well, we, um, we kind of talked about this last episode that I know that a lot of people didn't want Jacob DeGrom to pitch this game and you figure it's the Pirates you could do a bullpen game like not a big deal but you saw it this game the Mets literally didn't have anyone on the roster to pitch and this is why that rain out from Tuesday is so becomes so important like we basically lost an entire game because we got rained out and that is why all the people who were mad at Steve Cohen and the Mets that night that we were trying so hard to get that game in everyone inside the organization knew that if we got to this Sunday game against the Pirates and Jacob DeGrom couldn't pitch there was just no other option. There wasn't. It had to be Aaron Luke for two, Jerry Lykoff for two, and it should have been Yeri's Familia for two, but he just couldn't get the job done. It was difficult because he got Rodolfo castro God
0: damn. He, he couldn't get the job done, and then Castro came in and like did well, but then they asked for the second inning out of him, which we've said in the past. Miguel Castro just can't do two innings. He always struggles in that second after he sits which then led to Diaz having
1: to come in. But like the Castro situation, like this was, this is a time in the year where he has been struggling. And the second they double switched him into the game, Gary said, I don't know about this decision. Like you really want two innings out of him? Especially because, to jump ahead for a moment, Drew Smith ended up coming in to clean up the mess in the ninth inning. So if Drew Smith was available. He should have pitched the eighth or the seventh to just split him and Castro up. I know you were leaving yourself potentially exposed for extra innings, but at that point, who really cares to use every single reliever who is available especially when you probably were planning on Familia to give you a little bit more than he ended up giving because he came in in the sixth or he came in to close out the fifth. Yes, that was it. He got out of trouble after throwing a wild pitch and then he gave up a two-run home run to Rodolfo Castro. So him not giving you two complete innings I don't know if that was the plan or not, but if Drew Smith was available, I don't know why you're counting on Miguel Castro for two innings in a tight yeah. game.
0: It seemed like Drew Smith was like definitely that extra inning guy, the absolute last choice, which I don't like either because we talk about Drew Flow. We're big Drew Flow fans over here. This dude should be getting legitimate innings, and it seemed like the Mets were trying their hardest to not use him, which, which is weird because we've all year Castro can't pitch two innings we've known this and then they asked like Diaz to get five outs which is tough especially after pitching the night before this game was set up for the Mets to fail but only because the offense didn't hit I think that is important to say
1: after the first inning but also a big part of why the Mets struggled pitching this game along with Tuesday's rain out, was Thursday's rainout. out. Yep. The fact that Saturday was a double heather. we had to burn through, I think it was like nine, eight or nine total pitchers on Saturday. Marcus Stroman was only able to get five. Tyler McGill didn't leave the fourth, which we'll get to both of those guys in a few minutes. But the Mets just were left, I don't know, kind of, I'm trying to find the right word. Like when you have a bad defense system, like I'm trying to think of like a military tactic. Oh, they were just, ooh, what is it called?
0: Um... Oh, that word is so... I know exactly what word you're thinking of. Vulnerable.
1: Yes, the Mets were left very vulnerable this game because of these two rainouts and the doubleheaders they were forced to play this week. And then just the fact that day, how days of the week work and Jacob DeGrom couldn't pitch on this many days rest. But again, to backtrack a little bit, why couldn't he? I don't want to force the issue. I don't want to make Jacob DeGrom do more than he has to do, but like, fuck, we would have won this game easily if Jacob DeGrom could have just thrown three innings in relief. If he could have just came in the third inning and pitched to the seventh, we would have won this game running away.
0: I think if Jacob himself says, I don't want to pitch today, I'm cool with it. But if Jacob is down to pitch and the team chose not to, that's where I kind of have the issue with it.
1: And that's not really clear based on what's been reported in the media, so I'm not going to hold it against Jacob or the team, because I understand not wanting to throw Jacob ground in the last game before the All-Star break against the Pirates, but Zip wound up being one of our worst losses of the whole season, with Edwin Diaz getting out of Miguel Castro's jam in the 8th, after giving up a walk, and like, jumping and screaming on the mound, and it was a good moment, but in the back of your mind, you're like, oh shit, three more outs. And the Pirates just kind of nickel and dimed him in the ninth. got a bunch of singles, timely hits, put the ball where it needs to be. John Nagowski, with a thorn in our side he was the series
0: kevin newman too hitting a double off the wall or he didn't actually even reach the wall i think below the uh he hit the warning track before the wall which that's kevin newman for you the dude literally can't possibly hit a home run that might have been his only barrel of the year i don't even know if it classified as a barrel
1: It, it looked gone off the bat and the fact that it went only like 310 feet was just so kevin newman but there's nothing else you could really say about this game it's just I wish the offense would have kept hitting against the pirate against Chase DeYoung and that I wish Edwin Diaz would have closed it out it sucks tough loss for
0: sure not how you want to go into the all-star break but hey the Mets are still in first place mm-hmm. things could be a lot worse and I'm not gonna take this loss as you know the sky is falling just would have been nice to go three and one in that series is two and two.
1: yeah this was upsetting I think this loss would have honestly looked worse if it wasn't the last game before the all-star break because because it was the last game before the all-star break you could like let's look at the whole first half holistically for a second it's fine let's look at the whole thing it's Instead of just like focusing in the fact that we just split against the Pirates and our bullpen just blew a five nothing lead, but you're able to take everything in stride because we've had a positive, however, eighty well I think eighty seven games we've played now, so yeah, eighty seven. That was eighty seventh game, so sure, it's okay. Blue game against the Pirates, but you have three more against them. Let's sweep it, and we did jump out hot in the series, and it had me way more positive about how it was going to go. Yeah. Game
0: one we absolutely smacked the Pirates and that was the game we were all expecting as Mets fans. We're like we're playing the friggin' Pittsburgh Pirates who are bottom dwellers. they mm-hmm. keep the they're crypt keepers, they're terrible. they're not good and we smacked them finally, finally smacked them.
1: Smacked them, jumped all over them. Nimmo had two hits, special couple right off the bat. VR hit two nukes of home runs.
0: <sighs> that right-handed home run was destroyed. Yeah, Second deck.
1: was crushed. It was unbelievable. And then Lindor, the Grand slam, put the cherry on top of a 10-run inning. Like, this felt like the first... Not the first, because we had that Atlanta game like a month or so ago, but that was when all the, 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 the replacements still. This was the first, like, culmination of our real offense and everyone coming together and doing the thing and just... Fucking eviscerating the Pirates awful bullpen. I remember back in June, we started talking about trades. How many Mets fans wanted to trade for Sam Howard? Just because they were like, who's the worst team in the league? The Pirates. Do they have a lefty? They do. Is he okay? He is. Wow. I think we jumped his ERA by over half a run.
0: He's just not good. Not good at all. He's also like a guy who like uh, the sticky stuff has really made a difference on recently. He was a dude who like every game, it seems like down 250, down 250, down 250. So regardless of that, there was no reason to be interested in Sam Howard. Just like there's also, I'm going to bring it up now, no no reason to be interested in Adam Frazier. I mean, you guys saw him play this weekend. He is quite possibly the least spectacular player I've ever watched play that people want on a team. Mm-hmm. He's like David X9 of twenty 2020. twenty, twenty twenty one, that's the year we're in now. Yeah,
1: don't get me wrong, I would take Adam Fraser for
0: free. Yeah, sure. If you're if you're saying we'll give you him and you literally give us nothing, like the Cameron Mabin trade, a dollar, yeah, I'd love yeah. him for a dollar, but we're gonna have to give up something. We're gonna have to give up something, and that reason I'm out. He doesn't hit the ball hard. His defense is good. He plays he plays a good second base, but he legitimately doesn't hit the ball hard. I don't know what fakak the world we live in where people are like We have Jeff McNeil. JD Davis is coming back. We have no spot for him. And people are like, Adam Frazier, let's go get him. Like, I saw a poll by uh, a dude on Twitter Hornick, Dylan Hornick, that kid. Where it was like, which of these players would you rather have? Chris Bryant, Josh Donaldson, Adam Frazier. I don't want Josh Donaldson, but if the options are between him and Adam Frazier, I'm choosing him a thousand times out of a thousand. (laughs) There's no world where I pick Adam Frazier. And there were still like 20% of people that picked Adam Frazier on that poll. Insanity, insanity, that's my Adam Frazier rant
1: It's the Adam Frazier takes go into like old baseball Like this guy knows how to handle the bat He sprays the ball, He, He, timely hitting He knows where it's going Like you shut the fuck up, I don't want this guy anywhere near the team A soft hitting second baseman Like how many of those do the Mets need, really, how many? Zero, you need none of them we basically have two already. So, yeah. I don't want a third to add to this mix. A guy who can't play center field well. I think he can do it, but not particularly well. He could play third base maybe a little bit, but now we're trading for Adam Frazier to put him in a power position when we know he doesn't have any. It's dumb. It doesn't make any sense. There was a lot of Adam Frazier talk this weekend. It was really fucking ridiculous. I was with the game on Saturday one of my friends who's not a Mets fan. He's like, ah, oh, pointed to Adam Frazier. That guy's can be trolling the grounds of city field in a couple weeks. You shut up. <laughs> yeah,
0: you sh- you shut your mouth. Don't you put that on me.
1: Before we wrap up game one, just a quick Taiwan breakdown because he definitely did not have it on Friday night. From the jump, it was really bad. It seemed like this was actually going to be the game where the Mets needed a 10-run inning to even just stick with the Pirates because the first inning, I believe, was clean. I got to the ballpark late. I had an issue with TickPick. Wow, the TickPick almost failed me. It took an hour for the ticket to go from my TickPick to my ballpark app.
0: What the hell is TickPick?
1: It's a different ticket purchasing app, but I like that they bake all your fees in, so there's no surprise costs. I like that, but I have a really stupid brain because I will take that over actual convenience and um, I don't even know deliverance of my ticket. I was on hold with them for like a half hour. I was talking to the Mets, and the woman from the Mets goes, oh, yeah, they're one of the worst services. We can't help you if you purchase from them. I was like, all right, thanks so much. So I was just sitting there refreshing my ballpark app, and at like 7.18, it finally went. I was like, thank you. I walked in, missed the first inning. Sat down for the second. By the time I got in there, it was second and third, nobody out. Pirates Bomb and the other coming up. and It was a marvel that Taiwan got out of that jam in the second inning while only giving up one run. It was a pleasure that JT Baker could just ground into a nice double play to end to end to end a rally, but... As a whole, Taiwan did not look great. He didn't get one whiff on any of his off-speed pitches. None. None. His spin is still down a little bit, but it's not an exorbitant amount. And I went back and I checked his start-by-start spin rate on those off-speed pitches. And it really hasn't gone down a lot since the Sticky Stuff breakdown. But he's not been able to miss bats with his slider like he was before the season the Sticky Stuff Breakdown. That could be an arbitrary date. It could just be a time in the season where he got cold or a time in the season where the league may have caught up to Taiwan because of how hot he started and how different he is as a pitcher right now. But now we're at three of his last four starts. The slider has not had 20% whiff rate. Before this stretch, he only had two starts like that all season.
0: Okay. Yeah, so I mean like...
1: So something has happened.
0: Yeah, and we've always talked about like Taiwan regressing back to the mean of what he's going to be as a pitcher. First off, before we continue the Taiwan talk, he's an all-star. We got him Uh to Denver, we got him to Colorado, which is great, so congratulations to Taiwan Walker, very much deserves it. Uh But we also know it's probably unrealistic again for him to keep this up for a full year. We know he's going to come back to that middle point at some point, that's what the numbers tell us, just like Lindor is starting to hit and McNeil is starting to hit. Taiwan's going to start to pitch a little bit worse as we've seen with Stroman recently. Mm -hmm. But he's still so good for us. Like, even at his worst, this is a dude I want on the mound every five days.
1: Absolutely. And he worked so hard on Friday night just to battle through five innings without any off-speed stuff whatsoever. He was just working the four-seamer and the two-seamer. He was getting called strikes like he does. He was keeping the ball on the ground, keeping the ball in the yard. If this wasn't the Pirates, it could have been a very different story. But Taiwan did what he had to do, like bulldog like you always say battles for us
0: he battles he is a bulldog when he doesn't have it he still gets it done and that's what he did in game one which was a very very nice win i can't believe they even played that game after the eighth inning after the rain that we got like i don't know why major league baseball has this like weird like prudence to calling games early in the rain when there's literally a rule that protects games like this it made no sense to go out there and finish an inning.
1: You know what's even stupider about that, looking back, is that we had to burn Nick Tropeano for those three innings for no reason. If you didn't burn him, you wouldn't have optioned him, and he could have pitched the Jared Eickhoff innings on Sunday.
0: Which I think was their plan originally. I think they wanted Jared Eichoff or uh, Nick Tropeano, to pitch those innings, because from what it looks like, at least he gives us a better chance than Jared Eickhoff.
1: The Pirates were hitting the ball all over the yard against Nick Tropeano, like that did happen, but there were other circumstances at play. I do think he's better than Jared Eikhoff, Gerard. I don't want to see Gerard in Queens anymore, but you know what? That's Game 4 it. problems. We're talking about Game
0: 1 when we won. We hit big. Brandon Nimmo, a couple hits. Lindor, the Grand Slam. Alonso hit a home run. VR with a couple home runs. That was the offense finally clicking together as a whole from top to bottom with all the big guys doing what we need them to. And we got our first Grand Slam of the year, too, which was nice. Which leads us to Game 2 now, which started off hot i mean brandon
1: nimmo not known for his glove what a freaking play in center field dude that was the best catch i've ever seen in the ballpark literally in my whole life city field was pretty packed saturday afternoon like it was a gorgeous day doubleheader against the pirates people are getting a nice four o'clock game in the city in before going out to watch conor mcgregor and the place jumped in the air when brandon nimmo caught that ball it was pandemonium it was freaking nuts and then he stayed hot immediately and jumped on tyler anderson for a base hit in the bottom of the inning. And Brandon Nimmo's been hitting very well. And I've wanted to like do a breakdown of Brandon Nimmo to try and see what he was doing. At first, I thought he was more aggressive. And then I was like, maybe he's hitting the ball harder. Then I was like, maybe he's being more selective. And I looked through all of the statistics of Brandon Nimmo I possibly could. I don't know what's happening differently with him. He's actually hitting the ball less hard. He's hitting more ground balls this year. He has less barrels than he has had in years past. He's not being... um particularly more selective he's not being more aggressive he's hitting the ball harder when it's in the middle of the plate and he's hitting the ball harder when he's ahead in the count but those are the only discernible changes i can find with Brandon Nimmo. i think he's just good now
0: but that could also be a huge difference maker like we've talked about how like some guys have had troubles hitting the ball down the middle and specifically me i say we never hit a hanging pitch or a pitcher's mistake brandon nimmo seemingly hits all the mistakes and hits them very hard and when you are behind in the count, you obviously are in the, or ahead in the count, you're in the driver's seat there, you have the ability to swing at your pitch. So I think it tells you like a guy who we've known has an elite pitch selection to begin with anyway, really seems to be comfortable at the plate because when you're more aggressive ahead in the count... That means you're getting your pitch, you're seeing it and you're doing something with
1: it. But I'm saying he's just not more aggressive ahead in the count. I figured that he would have oh. better, like, higher swing rates ahead in the count. It's the same as he's had every year of his career, basically. It's like a negligible difference. Which is shocking because watching him, I feel like he's swinging more and simply not true. And the one thing is he's actually whiffing more. He's more willing to swing and miss on a pitch. His K rate has gone back up to where it was in 2019 compared to how it dropped in 2020. His whiff rate is higher than it's been a couple years past. He might just be more okay with whiffing now. less Less scared of the with, more comfortable hitting in all counts because he's taking some hacks and he's really hitting well I mean like he's a dude who gets on base
0: so like the strikeout like specifically for him really doesn't matter if he keeps getting on base like he does I'm so happy with him still sell, like selling out to get more out of his hits rather than mm-hmm. trying to just put the ball in play because he gets on base that's like that's what he's there to do anything else is extra and he seems
1: to be doing that extra especially this series yeah definitely and this was all cool but Again, the Mets offense jumped out, got a quick run in the first inning off Tyler Anderson, felt like, and then we just died for multiple innings. Nothing happened at all. Did you like Tyler Anderson? Is he one of the Andersons that you're okay with? Yeah, I do like Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson has something. Him and Brubaker specifically have redeemable qualities on this Pirates pitching staff. Like they, If they're not going to be part of the next great Pirates rotation, they could definitely fetch something decent in a trade.
0: And he was a guy in, who in San Francisco last year also had a like little bit of a, a boost to his career by going to San Francisco, and clearly they figured something out there like they have with Gosman and all their other pitchers. It still doesn't make it okay no. that we didn't hit him, and then not it's okay. also a little bit more concerning that Stroman had another not particularly great
1: start. No, it wasn't, but this was definitely a step in the right direction compared to his last handful of starts. Marcus Stroman, has, similar to Tywin Walker, has struggled with his breaking balls for a couple of weeks now, and you could connect any dots you want there that I'm not going to, but this was the second-highest whiff rate in any start all year at 41%. He had his slider and cutter both working for what felt like the first time in a very long time, but again, for the game, 41% whiffs, second-most in any start all year. He threw way less split changes and way less sinkers in his last few times out, which again shows me that there was a, a comfortability with those off, with those breakers that he hasn't had recently he had a good mix of ground balls too right around 50 percent. he just gave up a lot of timely hits like there were just a lot of balls that found holes and to top it all off gave up a fucking go-ahead home run to tyler goddamn anderson like are you kidding me
0: who maybe is one of the better hitters in this pittsburgh pirates lineup outside of you know like brian reynolds and stuff
1: but he did he did hit a nuke that was crushed his He's home run boy. was annihilated. Yeah, it was 100 miles an hour off the bat. Like, it was not a cheapo. It went out to the Chick-fil-A sign in right center. If anyone knows where that sign is, like, that a was poke. a serious shot. Yeah, it was a poke. It was a little poke.
0: still stunk because it was like, man, like, coming off that big, huge game in Game
1: 1, you really thought that the Mets were going to be able to stick it to the Pirates. Dude, especially off Nimmo's catch to start the game. Like, damn, I thought everyone was going to ride after that. And we, and we score the run immediately after that. Like, fuck. Uh Brian Reynolds did get us back in the home run that kind of put the nail in our coffin. After the Pirates bullpen held us down for a few innings, Mr. Bednar came in, threw a splitter that made Pete Alonso look like a schoolchild. Like, that was unbelievable. I was sitting yeah. in the uh, Pirates Friends and Family section for this game, and I was hanging out with, with my friend Ross, who Bednar's his cousin, and Dave's girlfriend, uh, Casey, lovely young woman. They were over the moon freaking out to watch like Dave Bednar in New York City strike out Pete Alonso.
0: Well, you also saw someone else at that game, too, that you were, I mean, like, I've never seen you, I don't want to say visibly shaken, because I didn't actually see you, but you were glowing after seeing a certain high school musical actress.
1: Yes, I did. Being in the Pirates Friends and Family section, I figured that I was possibly going to see vanessa hudgens and at some point this weekend and if any listeners don't know she's dating cole tucker cougar
0: (laughs) good for and cole tucker shout out to him he like tweeted out like in high school he's like i will go on a date with vanessa hudgens and the dude made it happen
1: he's like six years Uh, younger than her too what a beast oh i think he's probably more i think she's in her 30s and he can't be older than 24 at this point
0: yeah maybe i don't know
1: but i was looking around just like second or third inning and i peered right my friend Ross, same person I mentioned, he was sitting two rows ahead of me, and he was like, "Hey, look!" and he pointed, which is hilarious. He's just—he's—he's he's such a like a, an idiot. He was drunk. He just points to Vanessa Hudgens, and she's just sitting right there in like a white tank top and overalls, big bougie sunglasses, having a mixer. And I was like, "Oh my god, it's Vanessa Hudgens!" I couldn't even. You tweeted about it at like two thirty in the morning, like hours <laughs> yeah, did, after yeah. it happened, and
0: I looked at him like, "Damn, James is like really like, wow, he's starstruck."
1: I was. This was this was the first nude I've ever seen in my life. The, the first public nude of my adolescence. High School Musical one and two. I Watched those movies to death because I had a little sister who just put those movies on whenever there was free time in our home, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't even believe it. I didn't want to talk to her because I felt weird doing that. My friend Ross, same kid, tried to talk to her like three times, and she just looked dead ahead every single time he tried to make a joke. He kept walking in and out of her row, which is such a such a bad move. <laughs> That's crazy. And since this was a double header. There And she was sitting pretty close to the aisle in section 121. There was a period of this game where a lot of people were going up and down the aisles. And there was, like, a group of, like, also seemingly adolescents, probably, like, guys and girls, ages, like, 14 and 16. And they walked past Vanessa, and one dude, like... When he got to the step above her, was like, oh, my God. And he, like, keeled over, and he, like, put his hand on his heart and, like, put two hands on his head. And she didn't see. He was, like, right behind her. He looked at his friends, and he was just kept mouthing, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I was like, dude, I know. It's crazy. She's right there. 10 out of 10 in person, too. Beautiful, beautiful woman. Good for Cole. Glad to
0: hear. You. Good for Cole Tucker. Not much of a player, but he seems like a good guy.
1: No, if I could hit 150 and Vanessa, a date Vanessa Hutchins, like, wow. He, he also actually had that bat in this game where he could have put it away before the Brian Reynolds home run. It was two on, two out in the fourth, fifth, or sixth. Vanessa was nowhere to be found. She was getting a drink.
0: <laughs> she's got her priorities straight. She's like, ah, Cole's yeah. not going to get a hit. What am I wasting yeah. my time here for? And
1: Cole also made a bad play in the field when Dave Bednar was on the mound. And uh, it was clear error. They get hometown scoring. in the gave, I think it was McNeil. It might have been Lindor at base hit. And she just shrugged. Yeah, <laughs> just she's like, whatever. I'm the breadwinner yeah. in this family.
0: Anyway, leads us to game three here, which yeah.
1: we won it. There was a good one there. Finally, yeah, we love to split
0: double headers. It was just the opposite mm-hmm.
1: way of that how we've done it all year. And you knew for sure once you lost the first game's double header, we're going to win the second. I had no doubt in my mind, especially even just sitting there, a couple of beers. I was like, "We'll win this game. No worries about it." This was the first time McGill looked mortal in his quick stretch this season, which is something. I told everyone to be aware of last podcast. It might have been two episodes ago. I remember the last time we got pitched and we talked about it. But for the first time this year, that four-seam fastball just was not fooling anybody. No one at all. He Threw it 49 times, accounted for 58% of his total pitches. The Pirates swung 28 times. They had three whiffs, two hard-hit balls in play, and 20 foul balls.
0: Now, to pull something positive from that, I think that 20 foul balls were hit is okay because that means that they still really couldn't figure it out. They would have put the ball yeah. in play if they were figuring it out a little bit more. And you also have to keep in mind that this Pirates lineup is filled with guys who still play baseball against the 1920s. So if they see a fastball, they're going to foul it back. The Pirates love a good like, 0-2 and foul it back and then like hit a weak <laughs> ground ball to second base. They live for that kind of baseball. So you have to remember with a lineup that has Kevin Newman, Adam Frazier, Brian Reynolds is good now, but still same similar Brian kind Reynolds of player. Reynolds is very good, yes, very but good. like similar kind of player in that like he is still a contact first guy. Really, at the end of the day, you can go through this lineup. It's guys who are trying to just foul off pitches and keep at bats alive. They love to go deep into a at bat.
1: I won't hear this Brian Reynolds slander. Sitting at the ballpark for three games this weekend, actually sitting pretty close to the field for three consecutive games. The ball sounds different off Brian Reynolds' bat.
0: Well, that's really good to hear because. I mean, like, obviously his numbers play for this year that he's having a really good year, which I'm happy about. I loved him in 2019, but we didn't know how good it was going to stick. Terrible 2020. And I saw him take BP in 2020 right before the pandemic happened at their spring trading place in Pittsburgh. And I went wow, that's possibly the worst round of BP I've ever seen. I was like, this guy can't hit the ball at all for any power, but something's changed, as you just noted.
1: Yeah, I remember you telling me that. He looks thicker. like He looks bigger in his like lower body. Good. Like, the, guy, the guy has different legs than he had in 2019. I'm aware of that. But, again, this was a moment where you would have wished McGill would have varied his pitch selection a little bit more because he was chasing the fourth inning of this game, and he was visibly upset. He really didn't want to leave the mound. He knew the Mets needed length because, it turns out, we very much did. Because Seth Lugo ended up coming in for two innings. Shut the door. Performed As he always does. Yeah, he was great, but him being unavailable did hurt us on Sunday. The offense at least was decent in this game. I couldn't for though had three walks in his three at-bats, which is pretty though Jeff McNeil had two hits. He's starting to really come around. I think he's hitting over 300 now since his return off the IL, which is crazy because I think he started off over 12. Yeah. But he's looking good. Alonzo hit another home run. He's doing the new guitar celebration, which is gonna we're going to see a lot tonight, Monday night, if you guys are listening to it this afternoon. Home run derby. Let's defending his title. Let's
0: go polar mm-hmm. bear. I, what do we think? Yeah. We think Pete's going to win it. What's your shot? Let's just go with the Home Run Derby prediction real quick.
1: I think Pete's going to win. There's no reason not, especially in this like dumb little bracket now. He's got Salvador Perez in the first round. Cupcake matchup. Walking right through that. It's funny that he won the last Home Run Derby because I feel like so much life has happened for like everyone in the world since, like, me especially, because I was living in Columbus still at the time, and I went to this Home Run Derby in Cleveland and watched Pete take it on live. It was a joyous occasion i met charlie Manuel that day i met rob manfred that day but i think pete's gonna take it
0: the thing that i think is gonna make it tough for pete is that in 2019 he was playing like ahead so he didn't have to hit as many home runs as possible right now like his path like he has to hit as many as home runs possible against salvador perez which is a shame because he's probably gonna hit like 25 and salvador perez is gonna hit like 10 so it's gonna be an absolute yeah. waste of home runs and then in the next round, unless Otani loses to Juan Soto, he has to do the same thing again. So he's playing from behind technically in that like he doesn't get to save any energy, which I think could hurt in Coors. But as we know Pete Alonso, this dude's got a second gear in home run derbies, and he'll hit the ball to right field for a home run if he needs it, which is a big reason why he beat Flat Jr. that year. So yeah. I want Pete to win it. I think he has a very good shot. I'm still picking Otani because that dude's also <laughs> just another animal like he's the best athlete in this home run derby by far i don't know if he ever gets tired
1: uh, maybe i mean it's funny that he's wasting so much effort in this home run derby when he's been hitting and pitching for an entire season and plans to do it for another half while the angels are playing better baseball i'm taking pete i'm a homer he's like gonna it. win it
0: listen listen i hope i'm wrong let's go pete let's go polar bear win the home run derby again
1: absolutely and that uh, i think we're pretty much done with game three ds has best inning of the year which sounds much worse to say after he blew the save on sunday but he looked unbelievable he was gassing 100 he really gassed key Brian Hayes in that bat and Brian Reynolds I think he faced either one two three in this one, or There were two three four I think it was one two three because Kevin Newman played that game instead of Adam Frazier and he struck out the side in 10 pitches I was really hoping for an immaculate inning but I think stupid Key Kevin Newman got one foul ball
0: yeah of course because that's that's the only thing he's there for Kevin Newman hit some foul balls because boy is he not a good hitter except for that double in game four which again was like the softest double of all time
1: Literally didn't even make to the wall and he had annihilated the baseball on a hundred I think it was a hundred mile an hour fastball. But before we close out, I want to get a draft take from uh the Mets Stuff Podcast resident draft expert, our scout, about Mr. Kamar Rocker. Because wow, did, did the Mets have a coup? Wow,
0: at at ten, Kamar Rocker is probably the best pick of the draft, honestly. I don't even think that's like really me being a homer or Mets bias. I think if you get a guy who is a consensus number one overall pick before the season started and while Kamar had his troubles and trials and tribulations throughout the year, you know, that's expected for a pitcher as who you know, throws like he does and such a big guy. But we got a dude who people thought for a year plus was going to be the number one overall pick. He fell to 10 because teams in Major League Baseball, we got lucky, the Mets, you tweeted it out that how great is it that the Mets lost a meaningless series to the Nationals, which put us at the number 10 spot, which then allowed us Mm -hmm. to get Kamar Rocker, who people Mm -hmm. thought was going to be a generational talent at the pitching spot. We got him at 10 because teams ahead of us were like legitimately bad teams, small markets besides the Red Sox, who didn't want to pay Kamar Rocker because we got him at 10. We're paying him like he's a top five pick, but that don't matter because Uncle Steve's got the money. So we'll unload the Brinks truck for him right now. And even then, it's like a couple extra million dollars. I mean, the Pirates took Henry Davis at number one, who's a very good player, by the way. But they took him oh, because yeah. they were trying to save money on their picks, which is so ridiculously wrong.
1: Same thing with the Orioles for the second year in a row. We're taking an underslaw player in the top five. They
0: sh- like, Colton Kowser I talked about in last episode, he's like a Christian Yelich, like, comparable player. But they did it with Heston Kerstad the year before, which I did not like that pick one bit. Colton Kowser, I'm okay with, but at five, like... There were... Khalil Watson was there. Brady House was there. The Orioles need some... They need some generational talent. I know they got Adley.
1: I think Lawler was there as well.
0: Yeah, Lawler was there too. Like, they had a chance to get some, like, big, big names. And they kind of went... I don't want to say safe, but they went a little underwhelming with Colton Kowser at five. But that's kind of what happens in the NBA draft. If you have your guy, you only get one pick in the first round to get him. And you don't want to miss him. So I think that's what happened with Colton Kowser and the Orioles. Weird pick. But the Mets got Kamar Rocker. I mean... Dude has a good fastball. I think it needs some adjustments here. It does get hit a little bit, but the slider, Mm. the curveball changeup, like four really, really good pitches coming out of college. CeCe Sabathia was on MLB Network talking about him. He loves Kamar Rocker. He he thinks he's going to be a great pitcher. The Mets got a steal. Everyone around baseball seemingly went, damn, this might be one you look back on and go, Mets got him at 10 because teams didn't want to pay this guy an extra one to $2 million to sign him. Like, it's nuts. It's nuts that he fell this far. I really didn't think... I didn't think it was a legitimate chance. I thought that there was maybe, but I thought someone was going to jump on him. Like the Royals took this dude, Frank Mazzucato, who was like yeah. a top 50 player. Again, you go after the guys you want, but same thing like under slot value. That was the the thing of the top 10 picks besides
1: Jack Leiter. And I feel like Kamar Rocker's shine has like worn just because of his last two months were the worst of his entire collegiate career which i think fatigue could have played into that just possible game plans against him could have played into that but this is a guy who has won a college world series championship he was the most outstanding player in that world series he's thrown a no-hither which with i think was picked because he had like those back-to-back or three consecutive no-hitters whatever it was and whatever division he played in kamar rocker struck out 321 players in 230 innings in college like this guy really has it all going on he was perceived as generational just a short year ago. Like this, no one thought this was even remotely possible that he would not only drop to the Mets but just drop to the 10th overall pick. I tweeted this about a month and a half ago, and people jumped out my throat for saying I thought Kamar Rocker was going to be there at 10. It just felt like he was, the momentum was taking him way, way down. And the second the Royals picked Mazzucato, because he was where that was where uh, Rocker was mocked over and over again, very consistently. Like, right. That was a spot where, too. Yeah, that was the spot where everyone put in Rocker once that happened it was smooth sailing we even had a shot to get Brady House one of your favorite players in this draft
0: yeah but I once once Kamar was available at 10 he was my number one pick by far like he's there you gotta take him what the Mets have been able to do with pitching and now having Jeremy Hefner there and like just all the information that we have I feel like the sky's the limit for Kamar I think we have an Mm -hmm. ace in the making in our farm system now this this is huge I mean
1: he if it wasn't for Francisco Alvarez he
0: probably is the number one prospect in the system I was
1: gonna ask you right now to put you on the on the spot for a second as we close out this episode that's longer than we expected, as usual. Where would you rank Kamar Rocker in the Mets prospects? Two. Two?
0: I put him at two. I think he's so better than Matt Beatty right now. And he's better than I, Beatty.
1: I'm pretty close with Beatty. I don't know. I kind of like Beatty well, at two. It's, Rocker it's not even
0: like a detriment to Brett Beatty's game because Brett Beatty, I think, has surprised all of us, like seemingly. Granted, you always talk about him being like 35 years old and being in the <laughs> yeah. minor so he should hit. But I think. At least for me, when I do like my prospect rankings or rank prospects, I like to go off ceilings rather than what they currently are, even. And like MLB Pipeline, a lot of the times, likes to do like MLB readiness, which I hate. I think that's so stupid. But I think Kamar's ceiling is probably the highest in the organization. Like Francisco Alvarez is sick, but again, he is still a catcher. So you know that like at some point that might catch up. And if he is that good, they're going to move him out of that position, which then like hurts his offensive value a little bit, but he's still sick. Mm. Kamar Rocker has the chance to be an ace absolute ace like no doubt and the Mets got him at 10 once you get to like those those like 10 to 15 picks and you're drafting pitchers those aren't ace spots anymore that's where you saw a guy like Mike Pelfrey get picked David Peterson those are guys that you think could be like middle of your rotation guys that you hope maybe you could sculpt into a top end starter but it's really hard to get an ace a guaranteed ace at that for the Mets who we've talked about don't have a lot of next level pitchers we have a lot of young guys we don't have those guys who are ready to crack the majors in the next few years. It's amazing mm-hmm. to get Kamar Rocker.
1: It is. It probably going to change the, I think it does change the complexion of our entire minor league system. A thousand percent. It's, yeah. There's not that many MLB draft picks, especially from the 10 spot, that like get an entire organization excited. Maybe the people in the organization, but there was so much buzz last night around this Mets pick. It kind of made the loss wear away a little bit. Oh, a thousand percent. People forgot about the yeah. loss. 100% because we got a guy who could be an ace, a guy who just a year ago was considered generational.
0: I was literally out to dinner. I was giddy. I couldn't stop looking at my phone. I was like, we got Kamar Rocker. Like I was looking at my dad, shaking my head. I'm like, we got him. We got Kamar Rocker. Like Lighter's still ahead of him in my eyes, but definitely 1A, 1B. That's really what it came down to. There was legitimate conversation of who was better, and we got one of those guys at 10. At 10, absolute steal. And then I think we also just a brief... A uh, little, little talk about Francisco Alvarez, Brad Beatty played in the Futures game, and Francisco Alvarez hit a home run, which is Nuke. great, because the last Mets guy to hit a home run in the Futures game was Pete Alonso, and mm-hmm. what did he do? He turned out to be a pretty good player, so Francisco Alvarez, happy for him, he's a beast, he's so sick, and as you've been saying all year long, keep an eye out for him, he is going to jump, fly through the prospect rankings in this next, like, update.
1: I mean, Prospectus put out their new prospect ranking last week, but there's a paywall, so... No, there's no buzz because no one read it. Fangraphs is going to have their midseason report come out soon. Their new top hundred, probably new top two hundred. His floor is fifteen.
0: Wow, that's that's high. I was going to say floor top twenty five, but that's that's high.
1: Alvarez was eleven in Prospectus. Oh, okay, that's really good. Yeah, so I think that there's a good chance Alvarez is somewhere between fifteen and seven, which
0: is so sick for like a guy that yeah. has like really flown the last few years. He was, I believe, like not even top one hundred going
1: into last year. So it's pretty cool to see him fly. He was like on the border. Keith Law, actually, all the shit that I give him, because I don't think he's very good at his job, I think since he writes for The Athletic and they don't have a ton of people who go there for prospect information, they kind of request him to be clickbaity. He had Alvarez in the top 30, even going back a full year. So he was the first one on Francisco Alvarez. And if you look at Alvarez, like he kind of looks different than the other 20-year-olds who were even at the Futures Game so He is like a jaw. He's thick. It's like he's a man. He yeah, is he's strong like strong. a ball.
0: And I can't wait to see what he does the rest of this year. Brett Beatty also got the promotion to double A, mm-hmm. playing the Futures game. Don't know how he did. Mm-hmm. I don't think he did great if we didn't hear about it. Yeah, so. Definitely wasn't a home on, run. But those are guys we're going to keep an eye out for. Kamar Rocker, Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, Mark Vientos. The Mets, I'm forgetting the other. Oh, Ronnie Mauricio. Hello, Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, Matt Allen's going to come back yeah. at some point. This farm system has really turned a corner from going from
1: terrible to
0: pretty good now
1: yeah, actually we didn't know how brett Beatty did i just found out he did in his at bat he put a ball there 106 miles an hour the other way which was a harder hit ball than francisco wall 104 mile an hour home run and it to be interesting to watch Beatty and vientos at the same level try and find places to play because they're both kind of a uh, slow-footed third baseman who i to put it lightly so it's gonna be interesting to see how the met's change their roles up to see what kind of players we're going to have eventually. And also we're going to do a full prospect report on our second half preview episode. That's going to drop this Thursday or Friday of this week. JC Jin has best star of the year for the St. Lucy Mets, which that's a little teaser. We'll and talk also about that when it comes. last
0: thing here, before we close out the episode, uh, Cubs have been scouting JT Jin and Jalen Palmer heavily in the Mets mm-hmm. organization. And then I've also heard that mm-hmm. the Rays and the Giants have been scouting Jalen Palmer. That's an inside source from my agent. Who's also Jalen Palmer's agent. So literally straight from the source, got that one there. Some people didn't believe me. That's on you. I'm just telling you what I know is actual factual information. Lots of trades to be coming for the Mets too here. But we'll talk about that all in the next episode here as we wrap up episode number 31 of the Mets Sub Podcast. Of of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Nick Mark. Mark Luino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Always talking about Mets baseball after every single series. Like James said, expect Thursday, Friday. We're going to have a second half preview episode. We're going to talk about the second half, of course, what to expect from this New York Mets team, along with some prospect previews and trade deadline talk. So if you're interested in that, make sure you're following the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you got to do so you don't mm-hmm. miss out on any episodes. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp as well as the YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. That's where we're going to wrap up episode number 31, guys. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Peace out.
1: See you later.